This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about structured settlements from Ringler Associates, the first name in structured settlements, helping injured people and their families since 1975. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by Allstate, American General, John Hancock, Liberty Mutual, MetLife, Mutual of Omaha, New York Life, Pacific Life, and Prudential. Now join Ringler Radio host Larry Cohen. Well, hello and welcome to Ringler Radio, everyone. I'm Larry Cohen, the head of Ringler Associates Northeast Operations, and we're certainly glad you could join us again today. Well, depression within the legal community is a very real issue. And today on Ringler Radio, we're going to spotlight this issue and talk to a law professor who will share his own personal struggle with depression. We'll also talk about how to recognize the signs of depression, how to help, and how the legal community is coming together to help their own. And to help me in that discussion is my co-host and uh, good friend for many, many years, our Ringler associate in uh, Louisville, Kentucky, in southern Indiana, Cindy Chanley. Cindy, uh, as an associate, markets, designs, and, quote, structured settlement plans that meet the unique needs of the injured. So, Cindy, welcome back to Ringler Radio. I know you, uh, you've you been here before, and I love having you on. Thanks, Larry. I appreciate it. Well, our special guest today is a Professor Brian Clark, assistant professor at the Charlotte School of Law in Charlotte, North Carolina. Professor Clark teaches civil procedure, employment discrimination, and employment law, And prior to becoming a full-time law professor in 2011, Brian practiced employment law for more than 11 years, most recently with Littler Mendelssohn PC in Charlotte. Brian also writes for the Faculty Lounge blog, where he dedicated a three-part series to his own experience with major depressive order and generalized anxiety order. So, Brian, welcome to Ringler Radio. Glad to have you with us. Very glad to be here with you. Well, Brian, not only are you a law professor, you're also a blogger, and uh, it's quite interesting. So tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, what your work is like, and what ultimately led you to your diagnosis of depression. Give us a little background. Uh, Well, as you said, I I practiced law for for 11 and a half years before coming uh, and teaching full-time, and it was during my practice career that I I really um, started to struggle with depression. And you know, for me, it was it was after the birth of my second child. So you know, so much of of law practice is uh, is stressful. You know, the the billable hour pressures, the client pressures, the court pressures, and I think probably most importantly are the, the pressures that we put on ourselves to um, you know really strive to be perfect, to you know do the absolute best job that we can on everything and and I think most a lot of lawyers really uh, put a lot of pressure on themselves. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think all of those things combined with the uh, the birth of my my second child um and the, the the guilt that I wasn't being a good father, I wasn't being a good husband and I wasn't being a good or a good enough lawyer because I was you know my attention was divided more than it ever had been. Um were what started me push, pushing me towards the towards the hole as I as I call it with uh, with depression. Hmm. Um, that's that's really very interesting, and, and you've kind of talked through your experience. Um, 
tell us a little bit about kind of some of your studies and I noticed that there's like 3.6 times more lawyers are about 3.6 times more likely to suffer from depression than the average person. You talked a little bit about you. Talk a little bit about kind of what you found in your studies uh, somewhat. Well, there's there's a number of studies out there, um, and I've I've merely sort of compiled some of some of the data. But uh, the the main ones were done um, one by by the folks at Johns Hopkins in the early 1990s, and then another uh, by the Canadian uh, Bar Association in the late 1990s, and it was the the Johns Hopkins study that that pegged the the rate of depression or the likelihood of a lawyer being depressed at, at 3.6 times uh, the average for the general population. Um, and of all the, the professions, the folks at Johns Hopkins studied 104 different professions. And of those 104, lawyers had the number one highest risk of, of uh, clinical depression amongst any profession. And then the, the Canadian study, uh, which came out in, I believe, 1997, dealt with uh, more specifically on the suicide aspect because they had had a spate of, of lawyer suicides in Canada, and they were sort of looking to see how widespread a problem it was. And what they found was that um, lawyers were, or that suicide was almost 11% of all lawyer deaths in the United States and Canada, and overall was the third leading cause of death amongst lawyers. Um, and for lawyers, the suicide rate is is nearly six times the suicide rate in the general population. Mm. And you know, given that these numbers are now almost twenty years old, given the the state of the economy, the the hits that the legal profession has taken in the the most recent um, recession, you know, I, if I had to guess, I would say that the the numbers are even bleaker now than they were. Um, in the 90s when these studies were done. Sounds about right, Brian. And, you know, many people out there, they just don't understand what you go through on a daily basis during a period of depression. And why don't you tell our audience, what are some of the telltale signs uh, as you're going through depression? You know, well, depression is, is, one, of those, is one of those diseases that, that the symptoms can, can seem contradictory. Um, you know, things like uh, insomnia, or excessive sleeping, um, you know, a loss of appetite or overeating, um, you know, those. So we have there's some that that where either extreme can be a symptom, but things like difficulty concentrating, um, you know, difficulty making decisions, um, you know, fatigue, uh, the the feelings of guilt, worthlessness, uh, you know, those are at least certainly in my case were were very high. You know the feelings of hopelessness, um, pessimism, being really irritable, um, you know, sort of withdrawing from various activities. Uh, you know, I mean, one of the one of the, the big ones is is sort of randomly randomly crying. Um, you know, you can't just are sad and you you cry for really no good reason, um, which is something that I experienced. And you know, and one of the things that, that's not on sort of the official list of symptoms, but that that I've definitely experienced, and I think you could fit it in somewhere, um, was as a lawyer. You know, I started engaging in a lot of what uh, I've heard referred to as avoidance 
um, behaviors. So mm. not returning phone calls in a timely manner, not responding to emails in a timely manner, um, you know, driving around the block for an hour to avoid parking my car in the parking lot and going into my office. Um, so that, you know, avoiding the actively avoiding things that were just, you know, I just didn't have the mental willpower to deal with at the moment. Um, what what do you I mean? You've talked about uh, kind of some signs of depression, but the what contributes to the depression with lawyers? Are they handling too many cases, or do they have too many clients, or maybe the wrong kind of clients? Is it a factor with interaction with other lawyers, judges? I mean, I know the stress and the pressures with my clients are uh, are huge. Um, what other things are contributors to depression? You know, I think that that certainly just some of the realities of of practice are absolutely contributing factors. Um, You know, and and I think that that law to some degree attracts folks who are, you know, maybe a little bit more predisposed to depression, but, you know, not in not in any sort of biological way, but more in the the type A personality and especially the the perfectionist tendencies that that so many lawyers have, you know, the high achieving, um, real perfectionists, because you know when you're always striving for this goal of perfection or this expectation of perfection, um, yeah, it's not attainable. You can't ever be perfect. You know, perfection is just something where we as human beings are not capable of. So, you know, I think, I think that's a big part of it. Um, you know, the, the sort of role lawyers play, I think, is, is really difficult for people. You know, clients come to you when they're at their worst. They come to, to you as, as a lawyer with problems, um, whether it's, a, a, you know, they've been charged with a crime um, and they're facing jail time. They've been, they're facing the, the breakup of a marriage. Um, and all the, the, you know, emotions that surround that they've been injured, um, in a, you know, in an accident of some kind and are in pain and have, have suffered a lot of financial, uh, results of that. Um, or, you know, on the flip side, they've, they've been accused of, of causing an accident that harmed someone. And, you know, they, they've got a lot of emotional turmoil over that. So you have, you have clients coming in with their own, sort of roiling emotions and you know as the lawyer your job is is to is to advocate for that person and again I'm and I'm talking primarily about litigators sure. you know is to take on that that emotion and and speak for that person and then when you internalize those those emotions you know it starts to um, it sort of starts to to eat away <laughs> at you, I think, because not only you're dealing with your own stuff, but now you're dealing with with other people's emotions and other people's issues. So it, it just compounds the 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 emotional turmoil of, of that regular people have to deal with. Well, and I think you're you're highlighting the pressures that uh, come to bear and and being trying to be successful in the legal community. I mean, the concept of you uh, advocating for a for a client and, and being at a mediation or trying to determine when the case is ripe for settlement or or going to trial and and losing the trial and uh, uh, with all the inherent you know back and forth emotions that go through that I, I think 
just trying to be successful in the community must put tremendous pressures on lawyers. It does. And then there's, you know, there's the, the business side of law, you know, the, the law part, you know, even if, if with the emotional, you know, the emotions of clients and, and others, you know, a, a lot of the law part, you know, a, most, a lot of lawyers really enjoy. And, and I certainly did, you know, but law has become so much more of a business over the last, you know, 20 years, 25 years, um, you know, much less of a profession and more of a business. And, you know, there's, there's so much more to being a good lawyer than just being a good lawyer. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's, there's the, you know, the finding clients, the collecting money, the, you know, getting paid, keeping the lights on, um, you know, and then the, the billable hour, I think definitely plays a role, um, combined with technology, you know, I've, I've, have made the comment to to my students and and colleagues before that I think the the uh, you know the invention of the of the BlackBerry um, back in the day was probably about the worst thing to ever happen to the legal profession because now we're we're plugged in and available and ex- and our clients expect us to be available 24 hours a day seven days a week 365 days a year so it's 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 incredibly hard. Um, especially for lawyers in larger firms, to ever unplug, to ever get away from the pressures, um, and, and you know, and that was a big problem for me. I took oh, I yeah. took probably two vacations in eleven years, um, and that and that's just not healthy. Well, you know, Cindy and I have the same issue uh, in our in our own businesses. We're plugged in always, and uh, we all talk about that. It's it's a fact of modern life uh, with our iPhones and Blackberries. Uh, we don't have a moment where we're really not uh, not accessible, and and sometimes I guess that's a blessing and a curse at the same time. But uh, the pressures do do uh, mount up, no question. Well, you know, Americans used to, you know, I think sort of take pride in um, having a balance that we were, uh, you know, we we had a had a lot of pride in the jobs we did, but we also had a lot of pride in. Um, you know, raising our families and being active citizens in our communities. And, you know, I think a lot of that has eroded. You know, now Americans take less vacation time than any other industrialized country. You know, the Japanese take more vacations than we do. The Germans take more vacations than we do. You know, so we are are now taking the least vacation time of, of anyone. And, you know, and it didn't used to be that way. And I think that, that we were probably a, a, a less stressed out people when, when we had some time off. Yeah, you know, you know, it's interesting. I think there's almost a feeling in America that if you take too much vacation, it's a sign of weakness. You know, the guy that stays or the woman that stays at the job and is, is there all the time and doesn't take that time is somewhat perceived to be the hard charger and the other one is seen to be the the one that's just there for the for the for the paycheck. You know, I I, I think I've seen that. You know, yeah, I've seen it. I've seen it too. Yeah, and um, I mean, and that's a critical pro- problem I think with lawyers. You know, I remember one of a, a lawyer that I worked with years ago, um, you know, sort of criticizing me because, you know, I I made the comment that you know, being a lawyer, well, it, you know, it paid the bills. It it kept a, a roof over my my head and food on the table. And, you know, and he sort of snapped back at me and says, hey, you know, a law- lawyer is who you are. It is not what you do. And I think that, I mean, that was, yeah. is an incredibly unhealthy 
attitude. I mean, of course we're not, you know, just the job that you have is not who you are and shouldn't be who you are. There should be a lot more to you than, than just how you earn a living. Mm -hmm. That's true. Do you think that lawyers feel that they, do they have too much pride to ask for help or how can they get out of the, out of the cycle that seems to be never ending? Yeah, I, you know, I, I don't know. Um, I don't know whether, well, I think pride is, is certainly one way to, to describe it. Um, you know, it's the, I think part of it is the, the perfectionist mentality that, you know, this is this, I, with enough hard work, I can just, if I just concentrate really hard, I can make this go away. Um, and I think part of it is, is, uh, you know, the, the weakness aspect of it, that, you know, mental illness in this country still has such a stigma attached to it that, you know, for a litigator, especially, I mean, you're expected to be a strong, you know, zealous advocate and, you know, to, to do anything that would, would show a, a chink in your armor is almost unthinkable. So that I think a lot of, a lot of lawyers, and again, especially litigators, um, you know, they, they see it as a sign of weakness that they try, they try to, tamp down and, and just sort of make go away by force of will and asking for help would be to acknowledge it. And, and a lot just can't do it because of sort of the social constructs around mental illness and, and their, and their vision of themselves as people. Well, you're absolutely right about that. And, um, it's, it's a tough one. And I think everyone has to determine that, uh, asking for help is not a weakness. You know, you have to go and ask for the help and hopefully get it from people who are professional in the field. And, uh, that's a message I think that's should, should resonate from this discussion as well for our audience out there. Well, let's take Absolutely. a quick, let's take a quick break right now and, uh, be back in a minute right here on Ringo Radio with Professor Brian Clark and my co-host Cindy Chandler. We'll be right back. This is Ringler Radio from Ringler Associates, the leader in the structured settlements profession nationwide. Did you know that Ringler is involved in a third of all structured settlement cases in the country? Ringler Associates works with all the parties in a lawsuit settlement to find the best possible financial solution for the people involved. When it's your interest at stake in a lawsuit settlement, you want only the best financial plan. You can count on Ringler Associates to structure a customized plan that meets the needs of you and your family for the future. Visit RinglerAssociates.com to learn more. There's a Ringler Associate in all the major cities of the U.S. No one has more experience than a Ringler Associate. Check out our new website at www.RinglerAssociates.com for the best information for claimants legal professionals, and claims personnel, and to find the Ringler Associate nearest you. Welcome back to Ringler Radio. I'm your host, Larry Cohen, and today I'm joined by my co-host and Ringler colleague, Cindy Shanley, and our special guest, Professor Brian Clark, Assistant Professor at the Charlotte School of Law. And we've been discussing the rather complicated issue of depression, especially among lawyers. Professor Clark, uh, we've talked a lot about depression, and with depression we know that there's the sad reality of suicide. And according to a CNN article, Why Are Lawyers Killing Themselves, uh, by Rosa Flores and uh, Rosemarie Ark, um, 
South Carolina lost six lawyers within 18 months before July of 2008. Kentucky, where I live, there's been a lot of suicide in the last few years with 15 no lawyers, known lawyer suicides since 2010. That's just a frightening reality. It's, it's scary, in fact. Um, let's talk about this for a minute and why is this happening and what, what needs to change? Well, you know that it's, it's obviously a very complicated dynamic when it comes to lawyers and suicide. And, um, you know, of course, when you, when you look at uh, the statistics and the, the folks that are um, the lawyers that, that typically do commit suicide, it's very often men and it's often um, litigators. And in, you know, in Kentucky, in the, in the article you mentioned on or the piece on CNN, um, you know, the, it was primarily male trial lawyers that were, were committing suicide. And I think that goes to, to what we were discussing right before the break, you know, this, this inability or unwillingness to ask for help. And, you know, especially with men, you know, not only do we have sort of the stigmas attached to mental illness as a weakness, but then, you know, the, our ideal of masculinity, you know, it's, it's the man's job to be strong and it's, and it's any, any kind of acknowledging something as, as, you know, shameful culturally as mental illness has become, um, you know, it's almost unthinkable. So, so many, so many men um, and male lawyers, male litigators, especially, you know, they try to deal with it on their own and, and they can't. And eventually, you know, what happens, and I, you know, and I say this based on just my own experience, is when you, you get really depressed, um, you know, you are, are just absolutely miserable inside. You know, all you feel is pain and misery and guilt and hopelessness and worthlessness. And you sort of project those feelings onto the people around you. So you say to yourself, well, I feel so miserable. I must be making everyone else miserable. And so when you, you at that point, you know, suicide, you don't think of it as, you know, selfish. You don't think of it as um, cowardly. You think about it as the most noble, brave, rational thing you could do, that you love your friends, you love your family, and that the kindest thing you can do for them is to remove yourself from their life, because by doing that, you're going to remove the thing that's causing them pain. Mm. And, you know, and it, it's, it's totally irrational. I mean, it's, it's totally irrational. But when, you, when you're deep in the hole, um, when you're very depressed, it, that's, you know, your, your ability for rational thought yeah, is long it gone. It seems rational to you at the time. That's, that's right. in that state of depression. You know, and, and even, um, you know, years, years later, uh, I was, I was talking to a colleague, this was probably a couple of years ago, who was having a really hard time. And, and he actually had a, a friend um, who committed suicide. No one knew he was depressed, but obviously he had been. He was just very good at hiding it, um, as most people are, especially men who are suffering from depression, are very good at hiding it. And, you know, and, and this colleague of mine went to the, the funeral and everyone's talking about what a tragedy and how horrible it was. And, you know, he came to talk to me the day after and he said, you know, but I just, you know, everybody's talking about how horrible it was, but I just couldn't, I didn't, I didn't feel that way. And he couldn't even articulate how he felt. And I, just by looking at him and, and knowing how I felt, I said, you felt jealous. Yeah. You were jealous that he had, that he'd gotten out, that he had, you know, saved everyone around him from having to deal with his pain. And, 
you know, and he said, yeah, how, I mean, how, yeah, that's, I was jealous. And, you know, he couldn't even say it, but, you know, having been there, I mean, I knew exactly what he was talking about. Well, it's interesting. And Brian, let me ask you, in your experience, have bar associations and the legal community in general, have they put measures in place to assist those afflicted with depression and anxiety? What, what's being done uh, to, to kind of help? And, you know, there, there's a lot being done. And, um, you know, and of course, it, it varies from state to state. Um, you know, here in, in North Carolina, you know, lawyers in, in North Carolina are very, very fortunate. We have um, two two programs. We have our North Carolina State Bar, which is the, the licensing authority, has a lawyer's assistance program that's very active um, and, and is great, offers a lot of, of peer counseling, peer support. And, you know, that I took advantage of and, and was a huge part in my recovery was the, the peer counseling available through the Lawyer's Assistance Program. Um, we also have a program in North Carolina called Bar Cares, which provides um, free uh, confidential mental health counseling to lawyers and their families um, in North Carolina for folks who are members of the North Carolina Bar Association. And you know, and a and a lot of states have lawyers assistance programs that are designed to address these issues. Um, but you know, the, a critical factor in the success of those programs is is either the lawyer him or herself recognizing that there's a problem, or their colleagues seeing that there's a problem and being proactive. So, and I think that's that's a critical a critical aspect of of lawyers getting better is to have have their colleagues um you know watch have all of us watching each other's backs and when mm-hmm. we see someone that we think might be struggling um you know to to take action not to to call them out you know not necessarily not in a confrontational way but in a you know a, a loving way and say you know hey you know i i care about you it, it seems like something's going on um you know if, if there is i'm i'm here to help you and you know, trying to to be more proactive, I think is is really critical. Right. Um, and the last thing a lot of bars are doing, including in North Carolina and and Kentucky, is doing it as well, is having mandatory um, continuing education requirements for mental health and substance abuse, mm-hmm. um, which you know, just to to educate, to help remove the stigma. Um, and a lot of those are driven by folks like me who have, uh, you know, who who have personal experience and have and have gotten better. Brian, thank you so much for sharing your own personal story with us. We are really hoping that it's going to help a lot of listeners who are in the same sort of situation. In the ABA Journal piece, you said, you feel that you are the only person on earth who has felt the way you do. You feel like no one out there in the world understands what you're dealing with. You feel like you will never feel normal again, but you are not alone. Tell us a little bit about that and and how you personally got through your difficulties. Um, you know, one of one of the biggest things uh, that especially on the the just the overwhelming loneliness that you feel or that I felt um, was was talking to another uh, very prominent, very successful lawyer in uh, in my community at the time. I, I was living in Greensboro, North Carolina. And, uh, you know, and, and he sat down with me and said, you know, let me tell you my story. And, you know, so his willingness to share his story, which, you know, and hearing him say what he had felt, you know, he was, he was describing how I felt at that moment. And, you know, just having that, 
you know, having that, that sort of kinship with another lawyer who had been able to overcome it, um, I mean, was absolutely critical. And, and I, and I've got set up with, with him, uh, through the, the North Carolina bars lawyer assistance program. So, you know, having, and I think that kind of, of, you know, peer, peer counseling, if you will, is, is really critical because, you know, you, you, it helps so much to hear that someone else is feeling the things you feel. And, you know, and when I talk to my, I talk to my students every semester about, about these issues. And afterwards I get, you know, probably at least 10% of the class, you know, comes to my office and says, you know, I never felt, I never thought anyone else had ever felt like that before. Um, but you described it exactly. And, you know, and, and just me talking about it to them, you know, it, it relieves a huge burden that you feel when, when you're depressed and it, it gives you hope. And when you, when you're in a spot where you feel so hopeless, you know, just that little grain of hope can make all the difference. Um, you know, and of course my, the peer counseling wasn't, wasn't, was a, was only a piece, you know, I, my, my wife, um, you know, sort of put her foot down and said, you're, you're going to get help or, or, or <laughs> I'm out of here. And I said, okay, well that would, I, I couldn't deal with that. So I'm getting help. That's a good incentive, and, isn't it? You know, That's so a great it, was, incentive. it was, it was therapy, it was medication and, you know, a lot of support from my family and, um, you know, my, my colleagues in the bar. Um, and, and without sort of the total package of that, you know, I, I don't know that I would have gotten through it. Terrific. I'm glad that uh, you had such support. And uh, having your wife uh, provide that incentive of saying you're going to get it is sometimes uh, just that extra that most of us need. So, Brian, let me uh, end the show uh, by asking you, what advice do you have for lawyers or law students who uh, feel they have nowhere to turn and are dealing with depression, and what can we as friends and family members do to help? You know, I think the the biggest thing is to to talk to somebody about it. You know, it doesn't have to be a, pro- a professional, you know, a friend, a colleague, a spouse, a significant other, you know, to say, this is how I feel, and I'm, I think I need help, but I don't know what to do. And, you know, cause just putting, putting it into words, um, you know, I mean, that's, we talked, we talked earlier about, you know, asking for help, not being a weakness. I mean, I, in fact, I think a- acknowledging you need help and asking for it is a sign of tremendous strength. And, you know, so to, to be strong and recognize that you need help and, you know, and ask whether it's, you know, a, a boss, a colleague, um, you know, whether it's, it's just picking up the phone and calling a, um, you know, calling a, the bars lawyer assistance program, um, you know, do something to, to tell someone that you're struggling because that, you know, that's, that's absolutely the first step. You have to admit you have a problem. Um, and admit that you need some help. And of course, you know, on the flip side, you know, as, as friends of someone who may be struggling as family members, you know, the, the, one of the worst things you can do is to say, Oh, just, you know, just suck it up. I mean, you know, Mm -hmm. just get over it, just get over it. Um, because you know, it, you can't, you know, once you are depressed, it, it becomes a biological problem. Um, you know, and there's 
it, a lack of a lack of clarity in the medical literature about you know causative agents for depression. But you know, undoubtedly, once you are depressed, you know there is a biological aspect of it that you can't just simply will yourself to you know change your brain chemistry. Mm-hmm. You you need help. So, you know, to to respond of, well, just get over it, you know, come on, be a man, you know, suck it up. Um, you know, that's the worst thing you can do. Um, you know, what what should folks do? You know, then say, okay, you know, I'll I'll let me let me see what I can find for you. So even um, you know, calling the bar and saying, Hey, you know, I've I've got a friend who's a lawyer and might be depressed. What you know, how should I deal with that? Um, or, you know, just finding a doctor, finding a, a Psycho, a psychologist, a licensed professional counselor, someone who can make a you know a diagnosis of whether this is actually this is depression or whether it's something more um, more situational, and you know and and that's that's the first step. So you know taking any kind of 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 request for help seriously mm-hmm. and treating it like you would treat a disease. You know if someone came to you and said you know hey uh, you know I I was um, found a, a strange lump on one of my body parts, uh, and I'm not sure what to do. You know, no one's gonna gonna say, oh, just you know, just get over it. I mean, just concentrate really hard, and that lump will go away. You know, no one would say that. Right. So you know, treat treat a a complaint or a disclosure of depression like you would any other disease, and and help facilitate that person getting help. Well, that's great advice, and uh, I think our audience is going to adhere to that as we move forward. It's, uh, it's, it's never easy when you're dealing with people who have uh, what, you, what you call the depression uh, syndrome, et cetera, uh, because it is. It is it's not quite as uh, – it doesn't manifest itself like a, like a physical disease would, and uh, too often, as you said, people are, are, are too uh, – quick to say, get over it and uh, get out of bed and do your thing without really understanding the full ramifications of what they're saying. So in closing, I mean, this has been a very enlightening discussion uh, on a topic that really for too long has been swept under the door. And uh, one takeaway I think all of us out there should have is that if, if anyone is struggling with depression, it's uh, never a sign of weakness to ask someone else for help. And I think that's what we should take away here, that there are a lot of resources out there to help, uh, ready to help. And uh, we, we, we really should feel if we have these issues to, uh, we really should feel the, uh, the, the ability to go and ask people for help because most of the time, Brian, I think you've, you've seen it in your life. People are there to respond. Absolutely. Well, if someone wanted to get a hold of you, Brian, and to learn more about you and, and what you've talked about with us today, uh, how would they do that? Um, well, I'm, uh, you know, the the blog posts that that sort of have sparked some of this discussion are available at the the faculty lounge, all one word dot org, um, and of course I'm I'm available. My email is is bclark at charlottelaw.edu, and uh, you know my my phone number is on our website. So if if anybody out there you know needs someone to talk to or wants someone to talk to, they're they're more than welcome to to give me a call or shoot me an email. Well, that's terrific. And uh, Cindy, if someone wanted to get a hold of you, how would they do that? Uh, sure, uh, they can call me at five zero two five six nine nine three three nine or email c c h a n l e y at ringlerassociates.com. dot com, or you can always find any Ringler Associate on our website at at ringlerassociates.com. 
Uh, thank you, Cindy. And that's right. Uh, all Ringler Associates are uh, on the website, as well as a lot of great information about structured settlements and uh, and other topics of interest to the legal and claims community. And I encourage you to go to that website. And if you want to hear not only this uh, Ringler Radio Show, but any Ringler Radio Show, we have quite a few in the archive. You can find them on ringlerassociates.com, ringlerradio.com, legaltalknetwork.com, or even on iTunes. You can go to iTunes and download right there to your iPod or your iPad, uh, whatever device you're using these days, uh, and listen as you uh, go through your day. So uh, with that, I'll say, uh, Professor Brian Clark, uh, thank you very much for being with us today. My pleasure. And Cindy, uh, thanks for being such a great co-host today. Uh, I appreciate it very much. Thanks, Larry. You too. And uh, for all the rest of you out there, Go have a great day. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio. With over a million listeners, Ringler Associates, the first name in structured settlements. Visit ringlerassociates.com today. Today.